Hello. Welcome to the second edition of Jaffa Kicks Proust Presents Tilter Ice's 12 Months of Christmas. This time around, we're going to be watching 1998's Ebenezer, a Western Scrooge starring Jack Palance. And this time around, I'm joined by friend of the sitcom club, Birdie, who of course lives in New Zealand. So last time, my guest was Tyler Adams, and he was telling me about growing up in New Zealand and how Christmas television wasn't really a thing, so there weren't Christmas TV and movies that got stuck in his head. Is that still the case, Birdie? I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch any TV over, over Christmas, really. Not, not Christmas Day and so forth. And I think because streaming's changed everything now. And also, normally, if you've got Freeview, the state broadcaster, if you just go through and look what's on every evening, you'll see an evening and it'll be just films. No proper TV programmes. I think it's a bit like that at Christmas, actually. You know, they had like specials. They had a special of the uh, soap opera, Short and Straight. They had a summer special of that. And I, I didn't watch it, but I just understand it was like lots of murders and stuff like that, you know, really festive. It's changed so much now because of streaming, really. So can't help you with that. It's not like in the UK where you used to watch Noel Edmonds on Christmas morning. <laughs> yes. And every year they seem to find yet more Morco and Wise. I think at some point they're just going to have to come out and say, yeah, okay, right, they're still alive and they're making a new one for us every year. And it just costs a fortune in the de-aging CGI. I mean, there would have been some Christmas specials on. Things like The Chase. You know, there'll be a Christmas special of The Chase will be on. <laughs> Christmas specials and quizzes don't count unless it's blankety blank. The thing here is, is that I, I laugh, I say to my mum, there'll be a quiz show on here. It'll be something that's shown at three o'clock in the afternoon in the UK. Here it'll be prime time on a Saturday night, you know. You see things like um, Christmas specials of Tipping Point. There are celebrity specials and we don't know who the celebrities are. I think there might have been a Mrs Brown's Boys Christmas special. On, I might have actually watched that. I've never watched Mrs Brown's Boys. I think it became a thing after I left the UK, so... It's just quite poor. <laughs> right. What kind of background do you have with A Christmas Carol? I mean, have you watched many, many versions? I wouldn't say I have. I've got a lovely illustrated version of Christmas Carol because I come from Portsmouth, the UK, and of course that's the birthplace of Dickens. Can I just say that the Portsmouth has completely gone from your voice? Has it? Well, you just said it was the birthplace of Dickens. Dickens. Oh my God. It was the birthplace of Charles Dickens. It's only 30 years up in here, I think. So I remember when Scrooge came out, which I didn't choose to watch, but I remember I've got a very vivid memory of a cartoon version, and I always remember the part where the ghost of Christmas present and they're, they're flying around and they go to the lighthouse. They pass around the lighthouse and they're singing God rest you merry gentlemen. I've got a very vivid memory of, of that cartoon That's version. That's the 1971 version uh, that has Alistair Sim doing the voice. So I don't know if I've mentioned this. Um, when I was with my ex-husband, he was watching, I think it was called Penny Dreadful or something like that. I can't quite remember what it was called, but there was a character in there called Dorian Gray, apparently. And oh. he said to me, oh, I can't wait to find out what his secret is. And I just thought to him, <laughs> said, and he, he, he didn't. That whole thing of Dorian Gray, big gap in his knowledge. And I think that if I met somebody and they didn't know what a Christmas carol was, that would be a real sort of, what? How do you not know a Christmas carol? It's so, it's one of those things that's so ingrained. I'd be really surprised if people didn't have some kind of connection with it. It's a brilliant story. It is. 
And as I said last time, and as I will no doubt say again, that one of the interesting things of watching different versions is see what gets emphasized, what gets de-emphasized, what gets left out, what gets included that other versions leave out. This version is a free adaptation. Well, I made some notes and I stopped making notes because I was my job. This should be really fascinating because A Christmas Carol has almost gone from being a story into being a genre in and of itself. There are versions of A Christmas Carol that are just sort of using it as a template. And the Western, you're making one heavily codified text play within the tropes of a heavily codified genre. And I'd watched this version before, probably a couple of years since I last watched it. Um, A couple of years ago, I think I managed to watch 48 different versions. And as soon as I saw the opening screen, which just looked like it had a Photoshop filter, over it, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. And then the synthesized strings came in. My first note, I made a note, and it just says, Ebenezer, he cheats at cards. He gets the land. He punches the guy. He gets a chair smashed over him. He gets up. He fights back. I almost expected him to piss on him. The Western bad guy, the man in the black hat, that actually makes Scrooge a significantly worse person than the Ebenezer Scrooge of the story. The Ebenezer Scrooge's story has just gone cold and has sealed himself up. He's not malign. There's no real sense he takes pleasure in anything, and he certainly doesn't take pleasure in the pain he causes. He just ignores it. No, it's just the way it was overlaid. It just kept getting worse and worse. And I made a note that the carol singers, and I just said, just throw a chamber pot over them. I mean, they really laid it on thick. I think we got the idea he was um, malevolent in the uh, original. You know, you've got the door knocker. That's how he thinks of Marley. And for some reason, they changed the guy's name to Marlow. I thought that was a bit odd, you know, unnecessary. The whole bit about him being a miser, that it was all about money. I didn't get that. Yes. He was just a malevolent and just horrible. I wonder if there have been rewrites. Maybe rewrites when they get... Lads, lads, we've got... Jack Palancer said yes. Uh, We're recording this on the 11th of February. The reason that's interesting to me is Jack Palancer's real name was Volodymyr... Palaniuk, he once walked out of a Russian film festival after being introduced saying, I feel like I walked into the wrong room by mistake. I think that Russian film is interesting, but I have nothing to do with Russia or Russian film. My parents were born in Ukraine. I'm Ukrainian. I'm not Russian. Excuse me. I don't belong here. It's best if we leave. And also, this is Wikipedia, naturally. Palance was awarded the title of People's Artist by Vladimir Putin. Palance refused the title. So anyway, I'm almost wondering if they got Jack Palance and then decided, right, let's make him the bad man of the Old West. It's shot in Canada. Are we to take it set in Canada? Because his nephew's uniform looks all British Empire. But unless I zoned out, it's just mentioning the West. And he goes to Deadwood at some point. But then we see his nephew's got the you know little red uniform and the pillbox hat. A lot of adaptations of this are set in different time zones, aren't they? You know, like Scrooge and stuff. But this is actually the same time zone, isn't it? Am I right? The West uh, is around. It's, it's Victorian, it's be, isn't it? Yeah, it's the right century. I think the Gold Rush was after 1843, which is when the original story was published. You know what? I've never seen a science fiction one. This this is about the only one I can think of that is its own separate genre that is then putting the Christmas Carol story into and. You know, where's the noir version? Maybe you just haven't found it yet. That's true. And not for not looking. Is there one with a female Scrooge? 
yes, there's one called Ms. Scrooge, uh, which is Cicely Tyson. Um, there's definitely a version which is another version where I can't, I don't know who the woman is, but she's somebody who owns a department store. Um, there's Diva's Christmas Carol with, oh, I've forgotten her name. Who sang um, Save the Best to Last? Didn't she, didn't she like get awarded Miss World and had it removed because she'd posed for some nudie pictures? Anyway, th- so there's there's a Diva's Christmas Carol in which uh, it's Ebony Scrooge and she's a pop star, uh, which has a very nice take on Christmas yet to come. So yes, there are female versions of Scrooge. Oh, quite a few of them. Oh, here she is. Vanessa Williams. Sometimes the sun goes round the moon. Does it? We would definitely have noticed. <laughs> what a bizarre lyric. But yeah, Vanessa Williams, you're right. Um, yes. Also, this Scrooge, among his other sins, he's also a racist, yes. Uh, he meets a Native American woman and immediately refers to her as Pocahontas. Oh, that's right. Yes, he does. Yes. It's not subtle, is it, that portrayal? It's not subtle. And yet, of course, in other weird ways, it pulls its punches. Uh, he spends Christmas in what is coded as a house of ill fame, but it seems that he just goes there to eat turkey. Eat. <laughs> I made a note about that. He goes to a brothel to eat. Unless that's his particular kink. If just sitting down to a nice turkey dinner is your kink, you can pretty much fulfil that anywhere, unless it causes visible enjoyment <laughs> in your trousers. Um, enjoyment in your trousers. That's not That's not what we want to see <laughs> from Jack Balance. You know, so we start with an adaptation, we got the ghost of blah, blah, blah. But then it kind of went completely off the script. As far as I remember in the original, Christmas past, I remember... Uh, I probably should have read a Christmas Carol again uh, to, to refresh myself, but I seem to remember there's some dancing. The young Ebenezer is quite a, a bright, cheerful chappy, and you know gets room. I don't right, know. So from... what we get in the original is um, he, he's lonely at school. His father sort of left him there. He goes into apprenticeship at Fezziwig's, and Fezziwig's good humour and bonhomie kind of rubs off on him. He doesn't meet his fiance at Fezziwigs, like many adaptations have it. We then just sort of jump to, and here's that time you got dumped. And that's pretty much it for Christmas Past. In this one, he's a thief. It is something that does keep cropping up in different versions. Some of them just have to not sweeten, I suppose, salt his selfishness by have him screwing over his mentor figure. There's more than one. I mean, I think it happens. It's the, you know, the Alice the Sim version has this whole, they get really hung up on the office politics of it. And it's something I never like. Because again, Scrooge, it's it's not about his evil. It's about his lack of good. And then of course, so we, we have this thing where he's portrayed as a thief, but then he argues he's not a thief. He's only borrowing the money. And he has actually left behind a letter saying, I will return this money to you. And then we're showing that the letter never reaches its destination. He leaves it tucked in the front door and it blows away. And I'm thinking, what is point? But he didn't return the money anyway. Yeah, it doesn't stop you returning the money, does it? So there's no point that 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 seems to be... It feels like I'm ragging on this version. People are trying to make something and they might not have the resources they need to make the version that's in their vision. That's fine. Sometimes we fall short. But there's lots of wasted energy in the storytelling in this. And that's just one example. That shot's unnecessary. Just have him be a thief. Again, it feels like if you had a copy of the script, you'd be turning it over and there'd be blue pages and yellow pages and pink pages. 
as you go through different drafts. We've had a note, the thievery thing, it's a little bit um, on the nose. Can we have it that he was borrowing the money and maybe he left the letter behind? Yeah, but then if he leaves the letter behind, for, oh, well, let's have the letter left behind, but then it never gets to Fezziwig. Then worse, his father-in-law's back in his deathbed and he swindles him out of his land and stuff, so he's getting worse he gets and married. worse and worse. He gets married in this version. But she leaves him, doesn't she, because he's... And we get this whole thing that he buys some bad cattle, by which I mean they're diseased. He doesn't, like, buy some cows from the bad side of town who sneer and go, moo! And he doesn't, um... He sells them on, doesn't he, without revealing it. It's just awful. Not a very nice person, is he? We have this thing that his father's cold towards him, but then it turns out, oh, his father had very good reason for being cold towards him because he made a bad investment, and why not just stick to the story? You've got places to make departures but this seems to might make departures for the sake of it i guess it's hard isn't it when you're retelling a story that's been told so many times to make it fresh what are you going to hang it on you know you go back to scrooge because that's the one i, I remember as being maybe it was quite popular because of the theme song as well but you know you hang that on bill murray and you've got something haven't you it's just that if you go through the story as is written you've kind of almost got a location guide that's been done for you Totally what, instead of wasting time on the cattle ranch, that's like expensive location filming. We could dress this room in the back of the saloon that we're using as a school room and do all the school stuff there. If we just go out to that spot there, you can't see any of the buildings in the background. We can have Bell dump him just while out for a walk and blah, blah, blah. Whereas this, they're just stuffing it full. Also, going back to Fezziwig, is Fezziwig maybe not that nice? Because he, he complains about how Fezziwig didn't feed him. He said all he got was sour apples. Fezziwig mentions that he's like, oh, your Christmas bonus in there. It's more than I paid you last year. But it's like, yeah, but how much? What do we mean? It, it, it could still be more than he paid last year and still be a pittance. I didn't get that. I got that as a clumsy parallel to the way he was treating Bob Cratchit, where, you know, he wasn't giving him any normal wages kind of thing. I just thought it was a bit... But you know, you said about stuffing things into it. There's a, some things left out, aren't there? There was, am I right, in the original, I seem to remember with the Ghost of Future, uh, of, the, of, of Christmas Yet to Come, that's the silent ghost. Mm. And isn't that the, was the scary bit where um, under her cloak she's got children, is it? Need and... Ignorance and want, that's Christmas present. Yeah, it's the one who's full of bonhomie who then reveals that these two things cling to him. And was that in this one? No. It's missed out of a lot of versions. Oh, because it's, it's quite creepy. Yes. Oh, that reminds me. I made a note of, about the... Um, when Jacob Marlowe came on, I made a note for a minute. <laughs> he looked like he was Johnny Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Honestly, it looked like Johnny Vegas. I was annoyed that he didn't have any chains. Oh, right. I thought you could say he didn't have any trousers on. <laughs> I wasn't looking at his pants. It's, well, you know, it's like, <laughs> seriously, this time of year, it really, I don't know where it's coming from, but I know where it's going to. Now, again, going to Marlowe, so we have a fairly simple cast per Dickens. So it's like, right, he picks on Cratchit. He picks on Cratchit, he scorns Fred. This now has Marlowe's daughter who's been cheated out of her rightful inheritance of the saloon and is working at the turkey... turkey brothel? Um, and her 
like fiance or whatever. We don't need more victims. There is a bit in the story that's missed out in most versions, which is we see a couple of people who owe Scrooge money who find out that he's dead. So it's almost like somebody's taken those two characters and inflated them. Scrooge has cheated at cards and he's cheated the guy out of his horse. His house, his everything. I'm surprised he didn't get the daughter as well. And there's this whole thing about how he needs glasses. It's very subtly laced throughout the story because people keep saying, you need glasses. Is that like a metaphor? I think it's maybe to explain why a young man would, spoilers, there's going to be a gunfight. Maybe it's to explain why he loses the gunfight. Oh, right. Sorry, I thought you meant Scrooge needed glasses. No, no, no. I mean, look, Ebenezer, he painted as a real wrong one. There's no doubt about it. But then his redemption was just like, oh, here's your land back. There were a few interesting bits. There's a bit where, towards the end of his time with the Ghost of Christmas Present, who is not jolly and benevolent, he's some military man who's just like, look at this, look at that. In my head, I think, when I think of the Ghost of Christmas Past, I've got a big sort of Henry VIII kind of figure in my head. It's amazing to think Brian Blessed has never played that part. Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> my choice would actually be Ian Cuthbertson. Charlie Endel from Budgie, the Scunner Campbell from Supergram. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Among other things, he was six foot four. So that kind of would also help because um, in the George C. Scott version, you can tell that they've got Edward Woodward on these like stilts or something. Oh, diversion. Yes. Diversion. I was persuaded to have another crack at watching Afterlife on Netflix because I watched the first series and thought, oh, this is like watching parts of Ricky Gervais's original podcasts brought to life instead he's bullying his dead wife rather than his staff so anyway but I gave it a go and I watched all three series and I was rewarded by Peter Egan appearing I was very happy about that I miss Peter Egan I don't suppose he um, maybe did a little bit of a rerun of his big breadwinner hog thing and threw hydrochloric acid in anybody's face you never seen big breadwinner hog no it's a drama from Granada Television, 1969. This is my world now, right? What what has happened as a result of lockdown is me and some other old lags keep watching TV shows together and we're going through practically every drama series made by Granada in the 60s, apart from Coronation Street. And we'll definitely get around to a few of them at some point. Big Breadwinner Hog, 22-year-old Peter Egan, as has become infamous... In the first episode, I think there was like, you know, an early drama synopsis was given to the Independent Television Authority. And it described, there is a slight fracas. And what supposedly this fracas really involved was Peter Egan's character throwing hydrochloric acid in somebody's face and the person screaming and screaming and screaming. Jesus and not every ITV region got to the end of Big Breadwinner Hog. Certain ITV regions never saw the last episode. It had its opening titles replaced, because the opening titles actually were sort of a reference to the acid throwing. If you see the opening titles, they're definitely an influence on the opening titles of The Bishop in Monty Python. So its opening titles got replaced by still cards, and it got later and later time slots, and then some ITV region just said, no, it's, it's too much. Wow. 22-year-old Peter Egan. My God. 
That's a hell of a thing to think about. Well, well I'll, I'll fix you up with it. I, um, I found a, in, like, we're not really in too, too much in lockdown. I found um, uh, on YouTube a channel where that pretty much they just seem to be uploading. It was on a nostalgia channel. It's basically uploading um, episodes, programs of the Royal Variety Show. Hmm. And really, I mean, quite old ones. I know you're not the biggest light entertainment fan, but just astonishing. This kind of the kind of show. Are you meant to? Oh no, sorry, no. It's Gary who doesn't watch drama. That's right. It was just astonishing the kind of stuff that people used to, used to put up. With. I mean, there was jugglers. It was really, really, really. I mean, very poor, very, very poor, but comforting. I miss that kind of thing. I think I found it because I was looking for the latest royal variety and couldn't find anything. And there seems to be, in the past years, there seems to be much more reliance on musicals and American artists. Not so many poor jugglers. I'll, um, you know, a lot of Cirque du Soleil. Not too keen on them. So, yes, Redemption. That comes later because there, there are other things to get. Yeah, Edward Woodward, who you sort of threaten New Zealanders on TV. There's an advert, isn't there, about like winter's coming and if you don't keep closing doors, I'll have you. I think. I remember sure. that. Well, you won't because you would have been in Portsmouth, which is also Plymouth, as far as I can tell. I'm sorry, what? I can, Plymouth? I can't keep. Not the I, same can, place. I know, I know they're not the same place, but I cannot keep them straight. It's like Donald Pleasance, how he spells his surname. They keep changing it every time. Sometimes it's with an A, and sometimes it's with an E. Like I can never keep track of which Dakota has Mount Rushmore in it, and I'm sure that they keep moving it. Portsmouth is Southern Television, and Plymouth is Westward. TV, yeah, TVS, keep... and it got lost its franchise in the big franchises. It lost its franchise because of the whole highest bidder thing. And they did bid high, but they bid so high they wouldn't have been able to afford to make any programmes. The only program I can remember TVS made, I must have mentioned this, and you won't find it on YouTube, much as you try, um, was a programme called Radio Phoenix. It was in that time slot. In the old days, you had your, your regional news programme. Before that, you would have like a cartoon like the Wombles or Ludwig or something like that. It's sort of that sort of time slot was um, Radio Phoenix. And it was only about 10 minutes long. And it was in a radio station called Radio Phoenix. One of the guys was like, um, he was a, a real mean radio host. But he was paid by the guy that was in the bill, Detective something Mellor or something like that. But he's quite, he's, you sort of became quite well known. But I mean, the storylines were, were absolutely awful. And I can still remember how they had a storyline about rigging you know where they try to get the record up the charts and they were trying to get this record get up the charts and it was called press the panic button and the song just went press the press the press the press the panic button it was quite catchy um that's what i remember radio phoenix it was called radio phoenix 10 minute song it was um every day like a soap opera very strange it was strange because it wasn't quite clear what audience it was um what was that Is, is this the what theme are you playing? Ra- I, I'm playing the theme tune to Radio Phoenix. You sh- you have not found it. I found six minutes of <laughs> a, six minutes of one on YouTube. Get out of here! Oh my god! So they made that. There was another. There was a drama series that got made. One that was by TVS, but it was filmed in Portsmouth. Actually, it must have been because they had the same kind of people that are in Radio Phoenix. Now I think about it. And I remember that because they filmed it in one of the casinos I used to work at. Well, you you know the horrible story about TVS, don't you? What's that then? Well, they bought out MTM, Mary Tyler Moore's 
company because they were trying to become an international thing. After they lost their franchise, I don't know how many hands it passed through, but it basically it ended up belonging to Disney, Buena Vista Distribution. And somehow in the middle of all this, the paperwork got shredded. So Disney had this library of programs, but it had no paperwork to prove that it owned it. And apparently a whole bunch of it has been since wiped, including the British versions of Fraggle Rock. <gasps> but that's no loss. Not really. Didn't grow up with it <laughs> the, way, <laughs> the way some of us did. Fraggle Rock means Fulton Mackay. I don't like that sort of program. Uh, it makes me feel sick. Puppets and stuff make me feel ill. Oh, oh right. Puppets interacting with humans. Oh, my God. <laughs> At the time we're recording this, we have I haven't yet uploaded the first of these shows, which was about the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, Muppet Christmas Carol. How could I forget that? Well, I wouldn't have been watching that. Oh, hold on. I never saw the Muppet Christmas Carol. Let me just guess. Gonzo, was he Scrooge? No, he was Dickens. Oh, okay. Kermit would have been Bob Cratchit? Yes. Scrooge is played by a person, not a Muppet. Ah, oh, okay, okay, okay. How does Miss Peggy fit in all this? She's Mrs. Cratchit. Of course she is. Of course she is. Oh, I feel ill. Who played Scrooge then? Was it somebody famous? Michael Caine. Oh. And he's great. Uh, I say, well, you know, he's not one of my favourites. When the show goes up, just listen to it and you can hear Tyler speculating about Kermit's sex life. Oh, we don't need... He's a puppet. Hashtag pig frogs. He's got no genitals. Yeah, but he's got kids in the film. Anyway, hashtag pig frogs. Now, uh, let's get back to Ebenezer. Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Digression. So Tiny Tim is sick, but the Cratchits have been so badly sidelined in this narrative that you almost kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's not about the man who lost his house and his horse. And, yes, yeah, Scrooge is full-on abusive to Cratchit. We're, we're talking, you know, earlier when he, he was abusive to the carol singers, he asked Cratchit to give him his boot. So Cratchit... Doesn't Cratchit also get shot at one point, like in the foot? He was a yes, wuss, wasn't he? What, Tiny Tim? No, Bob Cratchit. Oh, Tiny yes, Tim. Yeah. God bless us, everyone. Um, I mean, why did they make... I mean... <laughs> well, I can cope with that. Um, it's, it's when Tiny Tim is like ordinary-sized Tim that I find it really pulls me out of the narrative. Uh, but yes, Tiny Tim ha went into a coughing fit because he got excited about Christmas. <laughs> I get too excited. I try not to get excited, Papa. <laughs> and then you think, well, does Scrooge maybe have a point? Is Christmas actually harmful to this child's health? But, you know, I don't know. What was he meant to have? Yeah, because there's some mention that he had to go back east. thing is, for lung disorders... Well, yeah, I mean, I always understand for lung disorders, you sent the children to, like, dry climes. This actually crops up in an, a version that we're not going to be watching, but was also shot in Canada, an American Christmas carol with Henry Winkler, in which also he fires Bob Cratchit on Christmas Eve, which he doesn't do in the original story. And there's this whole thing about Tiny Tim needs to be sent to Australia for the good of his health. Wow. It's a long way, isn't it? But I guess it's the whole thing of it's dry climes. Nobody ever gets sent to New Zealand for the good of their health because it's too humid. Well, perhaps a bit okay, but it's too f***ing hot. My, my aunt had TB in Portsmouth. And she was sent to the Isle of Wight. That's the uh, what? That was the treatment. It's, well, the Isle of Wight's a lot warmer than Portsmouth. 
<laughs> so, but I mean, it's by how much? It's not going to Portsmouth is, is like um, the beach. Yeah, like to go to Portsmouth. The beach is all stony. You, but people still sit on it and get you know sunbathed, but it's all stony. You go to the Isle of Wight. It's beautiful sands. It's completely different. You don't know how much I've just edited out. Anyway, how rude! Look, I know you know that much about the Isle of Wight now, so I, I store that away. And if I ever find a version of Scrooge set specifically on white. But towards the end of his time with the ghostly Christmas present. He probably went to the Isle of Wight, you know, because he was he was born in Portsmouth. Mm. Him and Peter Sellers, let's not forget. He's a dick. Carry on. Anyway, I'll just say that so towards the end of his time with the ghostly Christmas present, he says he likes Christmas. It's getting to him. And I kind of bought it from him. This also happens in the Reginald Owen version from 1938, where it's towards the end he goes, I like Christmas! <laughs> and I don't buy it from Reginald Owen. I mean, for a start, his cheeks are about to fall off. <laughs> They've put this ageing makeup, it's not working. I, I could actually believe that... Again, this feels like it's, it feels like it's from a different draft. Because this is Scrooge who sort of rediscovered some of the childlike joy within himself. But he's not been coded as somebody who's just sealed himself off from joy. He's a villain. I actually like the way the Christmas yet to come, which actually is still Christmas present, because it's not the following year's Christmas like it is in the original story. It's the imminent Christmas. Hang on. This almost makes no sense. Christmas present has taken him to Christmas Day, and then Christmas yet to come also takes him to the same Christmas Day just slightly later on. But I do like this whole thing that Scrooge is seeing the unreformed version of himself winning a gunfight and realising that this is not what he wants. It's a very effective version. He's screaming at himself. He doesn't want to win. This is not what he wants to win. Of course, he also dies. And I've seen versions where we see that he's dead in yet to come, but I don't think we've ever seen one where, where we actually see the moment he dies. Hmm. How does the um, Tiny Tim's grave thing fit? Does that in this version? Yeah, strangely, it comes after Scrooge's death. He generally, again, again, they've, they've departed from the original, but it plays out so effectively. I'm, I'll give them this. So, spoilers, everybody. So as it plays out, there's a gunfight between Scrooge and the man he's defrauded of his house and his horse. And Scrooge wins by killing the guy. This is the guy who's married to Jacob Marlowe's. Uh, actually, in Elizabethan England, Marlowe would have been pronounced Marley anyway. I've got this stuff in my head. I have to get it out. Anyway, so Jacob Marlowe's daughter is not best pleased about this circumstance and is screaming at Scrooge and Scrooge is offering her money. And again, it's great because suddenly Scrooge is doing what he's always done, but he's he now seems small and powerless. You can tell it is eating Scrooge up and he ends up tripping up on something, falling off a balcony. But Tiny Tim's coughing fit takes precedence. So there's no way of getting a doctor to Scrooge and he dies saying his catchphrase, which is not humbug, but hogwash. That's right. And he's, he's reaching out for the whittled. Yeah, Tiny Tim whittled Scrooge a horse. Oh, that's it. It was a horse. That's it. Yeah. Scrooge also has another catchphrase, which is blah, blah, blah. Oh, why didn't they keep Humbug in there? Humbug was a good one. For a Western version, hogwash is a good solid choice. It sounds more natural. And then 
After all of this, we then jump to the following Christmas to see that Tiny Tim has died. And the preacher sort of says Tiny Tim's illness took a turn for the worst this time last year or something. What a peculiarly morbid thing to say. You don't go in depth on the actual health of the person you're eulogizing. You just said they were a very nice person or, you know, he was he was a gentle soul. He had a lot of potential rather than. And now if we just turn to this diagram here, as you can see, this area of the lungs is complete and utter write off. And I imagine Tim suffered, suffered greatly. Weird, weird, morbid eulogies. If ever you find yourself having to give a eulogy, just leave the physical stuff right out. Poor old tiny Tim and his ukulele. Yeah, I got a CD of his singles for Christmas. Jesus. You, why, why did, well, I know you would have enjoyed it, but my God. Well, yes. Tiny Tim was a great musician. A great, he had a massive history of uh, early 20th century American popular song. I have to do this thing in my head when I think of Tiny Tim. It's not something I do often. If I think of Tiny Tim, I don't see Tiny Tim in my head. I first of all see Ken Dodd. And then I think, oh, no, no, that's Ken Dodd. This is Tiny Tim. And I get a different image in my head. But my my go-to visual, for some reason, is Ken Dodd. That can't be right, can it? Yeah, because if you take a wrong turning, you end up in Talfrin Thomas. And then where are you? Who? Uh, Welsh guy with sort of the, the... Similar teeth to Ken Dodd uh, played Private Cheeseman in Dad's Army. Gary won't forgive me if I don't mention the fact that he corpses in a really bad soft porn film made in the 70s and the director was so blitzed he didn't notice and it's left in the film. Telfrin was part of the non porn storyline, by the way. Right, okay. Interesting. But I wish they'd re released Tiny Tim live at the Royal Albert Hall. That's a really interesting listen as he talks about the history of some of these songs. I think uh, the number of people that want that to happen is probably quite small. Yeah, well, do you know who I convinced? Andrew Hickey of, I'm mentioning it again, A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs. It's a podcast that's going places. It's been on the podcasting charts. Adrian Childs has featured it on Radio 5. Andrew Hickey is one of the people I persuaded that Tiny Tim was an interesting person in his own right. Might be an outsider artist, I'll give you that, but still. How many songs is the uh, 500 Songs podcast up to? I think, uh, as I'm talking to you now, it's going to be 145 this week. Let me just check. I do the principal edit, and I actually also have a co-production credit. So, um, this week is 144. So Uh, is it one song per episode? Yes. Though it might it might feature other songs, it might go through an artist's whole career of how they fit into the narrative. Right now, we're kind of there's a lot of stuff based on the um, Los Angeles Sunset Strip scene. It's a hell of a commitment, isn't it? It is. It's got this far. Even if he was given a billion dollars tomorrow, and somebody said the only condition is you stop, um, it, you still got a very impressive history of rock music up to 1966. Right now. Is he doing it chronologically then, is he? More or less. He's kind of doing it via narrative threads. So he'll stay, you know, roughly around the same sort of time. Might get little shifts back and forth as years gave way to each other. But right now we're in 1966. We've just had Summer in the City by The Loving Spoonful, which features a history of classical harmonica. Bet Ebenezer. So what more is there to say? 
I do like, again, a lot of versions of Live or Die, by the way, their reformed Scrooge behaves. I find one of the weakest points in the Albert Finney 1970 musical version is that his reformed Scrooge is just a big ninny who just rushes around just buying everything he sees and he'll be bankrupt on Boxing Day. George C. Scott's version acts like a weight has been lifted off his soul. Henry Winkler's version that we won't be dealing with is basically almost the same, but his intentions and actions are good. But he's still actually weirdly grumpy, and he threatens to beat up an orphan on Christmas Day after he's been reformed. <laughs> Do they all uh, like call out to get a goose? Was it a turkey or something? When he, what is this? What day is it, boy? Why it's Christmas Day, sir? And he says, get me a goose or something. Does that happen in those versions? Because it's always worried me, that particular thing. Because it doesn't, I mean, you don't have time <laughs> to cook it, are you? I don't think Dickens really understood cookery. I mean, geese, you've got to be real careful if you cook a goose. Because everybody knows if you don't drain the fat off. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's not good for you at all. Well, we just got to assume that Mrs. Cratchit could work wonders. Oh, God, Mrs. Cratchit. <laughs> You're really so judgy oh. today. <laughs> Sorry, what? I was doing my pretty tiny Tim again. <laughs> I mustn't get so excited. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. I thought you were going to criticise Mrs. Cratchit for crying because her son has died. I would give her that one. Oh, he was a whiny little git. Get rid of him. Honest to God. That's what ruins Christmas Carol is tiny Tim lives. What I'm saying is, is that this version gives us something that no other version has, which is the phrase lizard licking chicken. And for that, I'm putting that in the plus column. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that is good. You know, when Sorry. they were, um, the, the nephew, when he's with he's with a group of people, they're going to be doing like a some Christmas carols or something like yes, that. Yes, a Christmas pageant they, instead of a party. Yes, yeah, so let's go back to the Christmas pageant in a second. When they're toasting um, Ebenezer, were they drinking milk? Yes. They were drinking milk. I didn't imagine that. Okay, cool. Um, the Christmas pageant... Why is he in the Christmas pageant? Why would somebody like him have accepted getting into the Christmas pageant in the first place? Well, I, I don't think he did in the first place. I think he agreed to it on the day. The gunfight is on. Scrooge realises that his opponent has really poor eyesight and is not going to hit him. And so, of course, yeah, the young man does take him, doesn't hit Scrooge, but it goes straight through Tiny Tim and credits just run silent. Up. No. <laughs> You're taking a big risk, Scrooge. This could actually end up really horrible. No, so that he misses Scrooge. Everybody's waiting for Scrooge to fire back, and Scrooge doesn't. He walks very slowly up to the guy and says, don't you call me a lizard-licking chicken or lizard lips or lizard anything! And Scrooge then gives back to people you know, the things that he's, he says, like, right, here's your house and your horse, here's the paperwork. He says to uh, Miss Marley, you actually should be owning the saloon. And because I've just given it to you, apparently that makes everything all right now. And all the years you've suffered, apparently you can just put behind us. But anyway, he mentions that he's trying to be kind. Fred witnesses this. So I'm assuming at some point Fred says, actually, the guy who was meant to be playing Santa Claus has dropped out. Got hit by a stray bullet. Don't know where it could have come from. So, yeah, I, I like that effective through line of Scrooge winning the gunfight and hating himself for it. Scrooge throwing the gunfight and becoming a decent person. I must mention Jack Palance overacts beautifully throughout. I I tell you, I used to like these to show on the Sci-Fi Channel. Ripley's Believe It or Not, and I think it's because of his broken nose or something. But 
He's very breathy, is Palance. And you go, believe it or not. I always enjoyed that. <laughs> so that's great. And yeah, and then at the end, we have the Christmas pageant and Scrooge plays Father Christmas and everybody boos him. So it's like, hang, hang on a minute. How fast does the news travel? Fred, you've got him to play Santa, Father Christmas, whatever. But you know he's still widely hated. Could you not have just sort of like before the show started said, by the way, the part of Father Christmas will not be played by Myron Spelvin. It will be played by my uncle Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, he's trying to make up for some of the terrible things he's done. I really hope you will all find it within your hearts to greet him in a way that is compatible with the festive sentiments that we celebrate on this day. And by the way, there are no ice creams for the interval. But we can stick some sticks in butter and pass them around. You can penny a lick. Right, so Scrooge plays Father Christmas, gets booed, and gets everybody inside by singing this song called Alleluia. It's not the Leonard Cohen one. That's a plus. Too many versions of that. And I say this, I, I hope this doesn't come out too sentimental or gushy, but the song he sings is truly awful. I know that song, though. I'm sure I know it with different words. But, I mean, he sings it without any tune to it at all. It's not even the uh, audience joining. It's sort of, I think they, it was the one they, that he sang all around the piano with his family and won the Ghost of Christmas Past things, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's from his childhood. So It's not awful. It's just a bit... Well, you know who could have rescued that? Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim, out with, uh, with his ukulele. I tell you what else um, I've, I, uh, I bought myself recently was the complete Rowan and Martin's laughing. Jesus, what is wrong with you? I, I'm amazed that this even exists. Well, it came out originally. It was two hundred and fifty dollars. It's like I'm not painting, and then uh, recently it turned up for sixty six dollars. I thought that'll do. The complete. How many episodes is that? There is a very high number. It's a thirty seven disc set. Far out. I don't even remember if it was on English TV. It was. I remember the uh, wall, you know, with the doors coming out. But I yeah. don't know whether I remember that from Rona Martin's Laughing or whether I remember that as being parodied by other people. Because it must have been in the early 70s it would have been shown. You see, um, a while ago I, I had my TV aerial plugged in. I don't right now. Uh, and I used to watch the reruns of Laughing that were being shown by the channel decades. So. I developed a taste for it that way. And I thought, well, you know, FNAF can have every episode for only a moderately stupid amount of money and not $250. Which is probably me being mean, but... That's a lot of money. Did somebody used to get water thrown in their face? Yes. I think that was part of Sock It To Me time. Sock It To Me! That's it, Sock It To Me. I remember that. And you bet your sweet Bippy, the flying fickle finger of fate... You bet your sweet Bibby, I have said that, and nobody knows why I've said it. I don't know why. Fickle finger of fate. I know that from Sweet Charity, not oh, from right. Rona Martin's Laughing. Yeah, okay. from Shirley MacLaine on, on uh, Sweet Charity, which, again, is a reference point that not many people have, I've noticed. You know what? I know there are two endings to that film, and I can't remember which is the ending that actually went out. She loses her man. He's not interested in her. She fails again. They actually shot a happy ending as well. Oh, well, it didn't have a happy ending. This is the problem, because I first saw it on DVD. Oh, my God. I was, I, well, I saw it on many times on TV. But, um, you know, I've lived here 30 years, but there's, there's still, you know, sort of gaps. 
um, somebody on the message boards that they they were seeing West Side Story and they referred to Stephen. He's talking about, I don't understand why he didn't use subtitles. I did not know that Steven Spielberg had remade yes. West Side Story. I said, I'm the 1961 film version of the Broadway show. And then I looked on Wikipedia and it said that it was more faithful to the Broadway one. But what I found out was I was talking to people is they didn't know that West Side Story was based on Romeo and Juliet. Right. And I thought, when you watch it, knowing that, that it's based on Romeo and Juliet it gives you a bit more of a, a depth to what the hell's going on in the story. But it's just complete gap in their knowledge. But that was it in the Wikipedia thing. It said also they hadn't followed the choreography. Well, West Side Story without Jerome Robbins' choreography, there's no point. It's like saying, oh, we took the songs out. Why would you do that? You know? Anyway. So this is one of my great tales of Hollywood. I once went to a screening in Hollywood of the magnificent world of Brothers Grimm or whatever it's called. This was in Three Strips Cinerama. This was an old film. Guest of Honor was a Mr. Russ Tamblin. <gasps> from um, from West Side Story and also from the... Um... Here's the thing, though, right? Russ Tamblin didn't come along. He came with his friends that he hangs out with, George Shakiris and Rita Moreno. They're not in Brothers Grimm. They're nothing to do with Brothers Grimm, but they came along with him because they still hang out together like it ain't no big thing. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, that is. And I just remember what he was in. He was also in um, Tom Thumb, an MGM musical. And of course he played, uh, most people probably know from Twin Peaks, don't they? Yeah. Uh, The film kept breaking down. And every time it broke down, we'd hear from the back, uh, Roscoe, here's another thing I hated about Cinerama. And he'd explain about all the eye lines were completely messed up. You, you had to like look over somebody's right shoulder. So that it's... I want to go and get put West Side Story on again now. Oh, my God. Well, I am not going to stop you. And if I ever start doing a podcast about different adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, maybe. Actually, that's my gift to you. That's your podcast that you can do if you want. You can have, uh, you, you know, have me on it. I'll do my best. One last thing to mention then about this of course is that i think i mentioned that it was filmed in alberta a canadian of my acquaintance has informed me that alberta is canada's florida i thought it was cold no, just, alberta it's not a matter of the weather it's a matter of the mindset you know florida man you know you, you know the phenomenon of florida man what's florida man hot one shirt headlines you, you should have seen seth myers did a whole bit on uh florida man you cannot resist the call of the Florida man, uh, where somebody's reading out Florida man news stories, such as like Florida man arrested after running around naked in McDonald's. To which Seth Meyers said, "Oh great, <laughs> oh great," said his boss, "I have to cover a shift." Floridians are meant to be meant to be, and I'm not saying they are. Uh, Floridians have something reputation for being meth-addled white trash. I am perfectly happy to believe this is not the case. Maybe it's because I live in Orange County, which has been described as California's Florida. And maybe I am white trash. I'm not addled by meth or meths. Nobody's heard of meths around here. They're just so perverse, aren't they? And I was doing Wordle the other day. That's aluminum. Aluminum. It's aluminum. Well, I have a pedantic little rule. By the way, if you're listening to this and you're thinking... Is that it? Is that it as far as the Christmas Carol is concerned? Yes, it is. There's, it's, there's only just going to be me talking about metal and the goodbye. But the end, I mean, I was waiting and they then they did put in, God bless us, everyone. 
I was a bit worried that was going to be missing, but it came over when the, the credits were going. So that was, I felt that was important as a sort of closure. You, you can't have a Christmas carol without, God bless us, everyone. My rule about a particular light metal is where it's from, right? So I have this pole here that I use to open the window, and it's an American pole. It's made of aluminum, yes. But if somebody from the old country sent me over a pole they got there, then that would be made of aluminium. That's my rule. Oh, do you know, we have this argument in my house still. Oh, my kids. And my kids, you know, they're grown Um, Goodbye, everybody. This is the end of the podcast. I'm going to keep talking to Birdie because this sounds really interesting. But I'll be back next month. Enjoy Pancake Day. Whatever, whatever's coming up next. And all being well, we got the February edition out for February. We'll get the March edition out for March. And who knows to whom I'll be talking and about what version. Goodbye from me. You can say goodbye, goodbye from me. <laughs> right, anyway, you were saying then. What was I saying? Oh, my kids. Chinese food. Okay, it's Chinese food. It's Chinese food. Americans say Chinese food.